The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Decrypted is brought to you by Red Hat whose broad portfolio of open source technologies for the enterprise helps you get from where you are to where you want to be. Red Hat, the open technology to help you realize your vision. Learn more at redhat.com slash open tech. France is just days away from a crucial runoff in its presidential campaign. Very much like the last U.S. presidential election, it could go down in history as one of the most consequential electoral decisions of this generation. So it looks like in the past half hour we're seeing the numbers from the actual votes, the actual counts of the votes from the interior ministry uh, showing that Emmanuel Macron could actually be leading 23.3% uh, uh, for Emmanuel Macron. Followed by the second and final round of voting is scheduled for May 7th. Candidates from France's mainstream political parties are all out, leaving an independent, Emmanuel Macron, and Marine Le Pen, leader of the National Front, which has been known as a populist right-wing party. Our reporter in Paris, Marie Mawad, describes it like this. It's going from basically a boxing match to a no-holds-barred ultimate fighting spectacle, if you want to compare it that way. But as Election Day approaches, we're getting a worrying case of deja vu. Fake news stories are being read, liked, and shared online in the critical final days, as the voters make up their mind about which candidates to back. Here's Marie again. One false report, um, which I think is my favorite because it's the wackiest, it's about how the Le Pens were growing marijuana, according to this report, growing marijuana in their basement uh, to make a bit of cash to pay for their campaign. After the U.S. election, with a public outcry over fake news, social media companies like Facebook, Twitter and Google said they were going to do something about it. Have they? Hi, I'm Brad Stone. And I'm Pia Gadkari. And this week on Decrypted, we're taking another look at the problem of fake news and whether changes at Facebook, Twitter, and Google have been effective at curbing the reach of misleading and sometimes outright fabricated stories. These companies are facing their first major test now, half a year after they committed to tackling this issue in the wake of the U.S. elections. We'll take a look at how much fake news is circulating in France ahead of the vote and talk to expert fact-checkers about the search for a real solution. Stay with us. We've been covering the issue of fake news for a few months now. It first blew up as a major concern after the U.S. election. Regular listeners of this show may remember that we dedicated an episode to the topic last year. For anyone who needs a recap, 
Basically, here's how it went. Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook CEO, initially tried to brush off the issue. You know, personally, I think uh, the, the idea that you know, fake news on Facebook, uh, of which you know, it's, a, it's a very small amount of, of, um, of the content, uh, influenced the, the election in any way, I think, is a, a pretty crazy idea. But very soon after Mark Zuckerberg made those comments, Facebook started coming under enough pressure from enough different quarters that pretty quickly the company had to backpedal. Here's what Justin can, a tech investor and founder of the streaming site Twitch, told us at the time. It's a nonpartisan issue, I think. People making decisions based on fake news is not a good idea, right? That's, I think everyone can agree that that's actually going to be bad for American society and discourse in general. Since then, the main social networks have made a few changes. They have partnered with local media on fact-checking projects. Just last week, Google made changes to its powerful search algorithm intended to demote links to suspicious websites. And in France, Facebook has deleted as many as 30,000 accounts linked to fake news. But there hasn't been a major political event to test out these new policies until now. In France, presidents get elected in two stages. The first round of voting took place on April 23rd and narrowed the race down from a field of 11 candidates to the final two. In some ways, the dynamic playing out in France isn't a million miles away from what U.S. voters experienced last year. On one hand, there's the front-runner, Emmanuel Macron. Il a décidé de me porter en tête du premier tour de ce scrutin. Then there's Marine Le Pen, whom Macron is facing in the final vote. Nous ne voulons pas vivre sous le joug ou la menace du fondamentalisme islamiste. We called Marie, who's our reporter in Paris you heard from earlier, to give us a little bit of background on these two. Now, these two candidates disagree on almost everything. Le Pen, on one hand, uh, wants out of Europe, whereas Macron wants all in. Macron is backing a bunch of free trade agreements, whereas Le Pen is for protectionism. Marine Le Pen has been a figure on France's far right for some time. A victory for Marine is currently seen as a long shot. But after Brexit and the election of Donald Trump, anything seems possible. Uh, Le Pen is definitely an anti-Euro and anti-European candidate, and that's uh, helped her win the favors of Russia. But she wasn't the only one in the French election who has been calling uh, for a sort of closer tie. But what has tied Marine Le Pen closest uh, to uh, to Russia is really this this sort of explicit um, move that she made by uh, paying visit to Putin. And it's specifically in this context of populism that we're seeing fake news emerge in France, just the way it did in the US. Here's Jonathan Deitch. He's the CEO of Bacamo Social, and he's been tracking online discussions relating to the French election. In just the past several months, we've seen uh, a quarter of a million, I think, a quarter of a million uh, references in French social media just with the keyword fake news. Um, and, and that would be those references would be mentions like in Facebook, in Twitter, or in something like that. So if you imagine those are just the people talking about it, and then the reach that goes out from that. 
But that's just what the traditional media outlets are saying about fake news. Here's how much actual content he's seeing. When we measured this for the time period between uh, the beginning of November and a couple of days into April, that reframe and alternative section encompassed about one quarter of all of the links shared during that time. Just for context there, reframe and alternative content is what Jonathan classifies as potentially fake or deliberately misleading news. That's opposed to other kinds of content like news articles from traditional news organizations or material coming directly from the campaigns. The words reframe and alternative are, are euphemisms for something that's very dangerous. And the fact that Jonathan Deitch is saying that perhaps one quarter of all links shared during this time are fake news is, is pretty scary. Yeah, and on top of that, Jonathan says a really significant portion of fake or junk news stories relating to the French election have some kind of link to Russian websites and news sources. We characterize a site as having Russian influence. If it links to Russia Today or Sputnik News, or even maybe one of the Russian newspapers. I mean, those are all indications that the, the site may have Russian influence. We also see in the sites that are in the reframing section, it's about 20% of them that, uh, that have links to Russian-driven sources. Um, in what we call the alternative section, it's about 50% of them. It's hard not to want to know, is this a deliberate strategy from the Russians? What, if any, effect is it having on voters? And, and the truth is, it's, it's really hard to say. It's hard to, hard, to, hard to really know that for sure. But we do know that this content is being published in French around topics that are relevant for uh, the French election. And is that sufficient to say it? I, I don't know, but it's almost impossible to, to distinguish whether that's really overt action or it's just a, a, a sympathy, if you will, for, uh, for that point of view. As in the U.S. election, there's a lot of smoke here. Clearly, Russian President Vladimir Putin has a stake in the French elections. He'd like to see Western Europe further destabilize, which helps him extend Russia's power and his influence on the world stage. But even if it's not connected to Russia, it appears that we fall for these fake news stories pretty easily. And it doesn't take much for them to go viral. Here's Marie again. Most of these fake posts and most of these hoaxes are stories that look plausible or are, me are meant to look plausible. Um, they're very often a deformed version of a real fact. And the goal there, of course, is that people who are not ill-intentioned will fall for them and they'll start sharing them around because it looks like a rumor that could maybe be true. But Brad, if you think a quarter of all links sounds like a large number, and, and I did while I was reporting this story... Just wait until you hear how much fake news U.S. voters were exposed to before the election. Oh, my. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. You know where you want to be. Red Hat has the broad portfolio of open source technologies to get you there. Meet your evolving business challenges head on with secure solutions for the enterprise, including Linux platforms and containers, hybrid cloud infrastructure, application integration and development, operations management, and beyond. Visit redhat.com slash opentech to learn more. Red Hat, 
the open technology to help you realize your vision. Before the break, we heard there's actually a lot of fake or misleading news being shared on French social media just days before the country has to choose its next president. But even though the numbers in France may seem high, it turns out it's about half the amount of fake news that U.S. voters were exposed to before the November 2016 presidential election. My name is Clémentine Desigaux, and I'm uh, at the Oxford Internet Institute at the University of Oxford. Clementine has been working on what she calls junk news. That's a kind of catch-all term for news that is definitely misleading, if not entirely fake. If we compare with the U.S. election, for instance, uh, we studied the case of Michigan. Um, in Michigan, we found as much fake news as professional news shared on Twitter in the days leading up to the U.S. election. So compared to that, um, I mean, French voters were sharing way better quality news on Twitter than the U.S. voters. That is as much fake news as professional news. So that's one junk news article for every credible story. Oh, man, as a journalist, I find that to be very distressing. Why was it so much worse in the U.S.? Well, for one thing, social media companies have been taking the fake news issue more seriously. So it's possible that some of their efforts are actually helping. Right. Facebook and Google have introduced a whole host of new measures since the U.S. election to do things like limit the amount of money fake news sites can make through advertising. Google took a few different steps. Um, The first uh, was to try and remove uh, as many fake news sites as it could from Google AdSense, um, which is the way that a lot of these uh, people made money, right, by uh, loading their their fake news sites with, uh, with ads. That's Alexios Mansarlis. I'm the director of the International Fact-Checking Network at Pointer. Um, we uh, are a uh, loose alliance of uh, 100 or so fact-checking organizations around the world. Alexios has also been working with Facebook. Facebook, uh, after much PR shaming, uh, came to a decision in December um, that both sort of attacked the financial side of it um, uh, by making sure or trying to make sure that fake news sites couldn't boost, um, they couldn't use their advertising assistance, but also couldn't boost posts on Facebook. Facebook has been doing more than just targeting ad revenue. They've developed tools to help users spot fake news when it appears in their newsfeed. We know that people don't want to be lied to or deceived on our platform. And that is a role we take 100% responsibility for. This is Chris Cox, Facebook's chief product officer. He's addressing a crowd of people at Facebook's developer conference called F8. This was launched in France. It's called Perspectives. So if you find a story in feed or you read an article about a topic, when you return, you're presented with the points of view of all of the French candidates on that topic. This isn't just the candidate that you are, you've connected with. This is all of the candidates. And it's a pattern that we think is super interesting because it's presenting a complete story. Because this feature has been working well in France, Facebook is looking at making it more widely available. Google has also made changes to its search results. In particular, there's a new fact check tag that publishers can add to news stories. And it's supposed to be visible in the list of search results. Here's Marie. 
Facebook and Google, they've teamed up with uh, local newspapers in a project called Crosscheck, which spots hoaxes and flags them to readers online with the help of local journalists. So far, it seems that initiatives like Crosscheck have been well received. But I do have some concerns about whether these kinds of projects can really address the fake news issue at scale. A story could go viral in minutes or hours, but fact-checking is a more time-consuming process. By the time a story gets debunked, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people might have already read it and believed it. Crosscheck spotted all the fakes that I previously talked about, and I guess that attests to some success of uh, that initiative. Uh, of course, the challenge for social media is getting rid of a fake story quickly enough that it doesn't leave a mark in voters' minds after making the rounds. And that's not all. Alexios says there's some evidence that articles debunking fake news don't actually get back to that same group of people who read the false story in the first place. I think we've seen um, some indicating that uh, hoaxes spread faster uh, and sooner than their corrections. Um, but I haven't seen anything uh, uh, truly um, reliable on who gets fake news and who doesn't. Uh, there's been some work from Walter Kotorochocki at the IMT in Lucca that claims that these are really two separate audiences. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, I could see that being the case, but I think we need more, uh, more research to, to, to prove that. Another issue with the spread of fake news is bots. These are automated accounts that can spew out thousands of tweets or posts in a single day. Facebook recently deleted 30,000 of these accounts. And Twitter has been active here too. Twitter is, uh, is quite responsive to these uh, questions of, uh, of junk news circulating over the platform. Um, so, yeah, it's also, I mean, the question is also whether you can uh, automate the detection of, fa of fake news. Um, so this is also something that a project is going on, or you can automatically, automatically find um, bots and automated accounts in order to, to take a, a decision, maybe to, to close the accounts. That was Clementine again. At the same time, we do have to be careful. It's too soon to really know how much of an impact these measures are having. As Alexio said, it hasn't yet been studied carefully, so we can't rule out this one simpler explanation. The term fake news didn't exist in the French social media dialogue before roughly the end of the U.S. elections. And now it has come out of nowhere to represent a, a, a massive, massive part of the discussion. That's Jonathan again. He's the consultant in Paris who studies online conversations. Right. Part of the answer might be that we're just more aware of the issue now, so perhaps we're less likely to be taken in by a fake news story. And the answer probably also has something to do with how much the public trusts their media institutions. Here in the U.S., surveys have suggested that number is depressingly low. But there is still this tricky issue of foreign meddling in elections. Because it can be so hard to figure out who first published a story or where it came from, it's easy for websites associated with foreign governments to circulate their version of a story. Here's Jonathan again. We've also seen stories which seem to emanate from foreign sources that are designed to, to try to create a more sympathetic point of view. Um, you know, let's take uh, some of the stories about... Um, uh, about Macron's uh, 
you know, alleged uh, uh, hidden accounts as overseas bank accounts. This is something that's been rubbished um, by traditional media, and yet it continues to exist uh, in the reframing and in, in alternative media sources. There are allegations of more substantial Russian meddling in the French elections, too. For example, the reports that Russian-backed cyber groups managed to breach the Macron campaign. That's not unlike what happened last year when Russian hackers infiltrated the Democratic National Committee. Here's our reporter in Paris, Marie. Some experts have said, you know, it's hard to pin down who's behind these cyber attacks, but they look like they've been um, perpetrated by the same group that um, tried to infiltrate the uh, Democratic Party in the U.S. and a group called Pondstorm, uh, which some people have said uh, is linked to Russian intelligence services. Getting a handle on fake news isn't just important for France. There's a general election coming up in June in the UK, and in Germany, federal elections are scheduled for September. Plus, there is a ton of fake news that has nothing to do with politics. Watch out for the health advice you're reading about on the web. There is definitely fake news and other topics, and I would um, think uh, that health specialists have a particularly strong grip on how widespread uh, fake news about um, uh, cures or, or alleged cures to all kinds of ailments uh, are on the Internet. I remember seeing some of these on Zika, uh, for instance. But bringing it back to politics, there are some encouraging signs that the public is becoming more aware of what they're reading and sharing online. I asked Jonathan whether he saw a spike in the number of fake news articles being shared before the first round of voting in France, which took place on April 23rd. And he told me... Um, Actually, we saw the opposite. What we saw is that there was greater sharing of traditional and uh, campaign uh, links from the traditional media and campaign sources uh, over the month of April. Uh, And that's actually been a fairly steady increase over the past couple of months. And so what that means now is, whereas it might have been about one in every four links was from these reframing or alternative sites, now it's just under one in every five. Jonathan says he's seeing more articles being shared on average per account. And he's seeing more accounts sharing articles. So traditional media stories are rising as a portion of the total. And platforms like Facebook and Google will be refining their tools all the time. For example, spamming used to be common on both sites. It's less of a problem today, or at least we're all better at ignoring it. And it seems like both companies are tackling fake news the same way. Although interestingly, Alexios was very clear that while a lot of the content is being distributed on Facebook and Google, um, so therefore they have an important stake in the outcome, these companies shouldn't have to take all the responsibility. Uh, But this is really a a job for everyone. It's a job for high school teachers who need to uh, teach the the digitally native not to be digitally naive. It's a job for fact checkers who need to make sure they're reaching beyond uh, their bubbles. It's a job for media organizations to double up, double down, sorry, on their own fact checking processes before they publish things and to be more honest about correction. So I do think this is not, there's no silver bullet. And Jonathan had similar views. He put it to me like this. The real reason why people uh, are susceptible to this is because they don't feel like their story is being told or they don't feel like they're hearing something that's relevant to them. 
P.I., I do agree with Alexios and, and Jonathan. It is everybody's responsibility to, to get educated and maybe be a little bit skeptical about the, the stories they read. But I got to say, I feel like Google and Facebook have an extra responsibility here. Their success has destabilized the traditional media. We've seen it all across the world. And, you know, the fact that it is opened a vacuum for these less, uh, you know, trusted news sources to come in and then in some cases mislead people, it's tough to handle, particularly being a member of the press. I think these companies, you know, they've taken a passive attitude. They've gone and said, well, we're going to address uh, bad things uh, when we see them. We'll get them off the network. And that's frankly not good enough. The The velocity of news and sharing moves so quickly now, you almost have to prevent it from ever taking hold in the first place. And we've seen the destructive outcome that fake news can have. I, I think I agree with you. We wouldn't tolerate this kind of content being distributed on any other platform. So um, I think if we're applying standards across the board, the web needs to catch up too. Whatever the outcome in France, one hopes that people are making their decisions based on real news instead of fake news. That's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can record a voice message and send it to us at decrypted at Bloomberg.net. Or I'm on Twitter at Pia Gadkari. And I'm at Brad Stone. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you normally listen. While you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps more listeners find the show. This episode was produced by Aki Ito, Liz Smith, and Magnus Henriksen. A big thanks to Marie Mawad for contributing from Paris, and to our new reporter, Nico Grant, who helped with a big chunk of the reporting and research for today's show. Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. Decrypted is brought to you by Red Hat, whose broad portfolio of open source technologies for the enterprise helps you get from where you are to where you want to be. Red Hat, the open technology to help you realize your vision. Learn more at redhat.com slash open tech. Hey there, it's Jamie Tarabay, host of Foundering. I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss. The Deal, co-hosted by Yankees legend Alex Rodriguez. Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with star athletes entertainers and executives like Maria Sharapova, Michael Strahan, Derek Jeter, and more. The deal takes you behind the scenes into the world of sports, media, and entertainment and dives into the wins, losses, and lessons learned along the way. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Originals on YouTube.